Welcome back to Sports Avenue. I'm your host, Jimmy Simonis, and today we're not talking about the NFL. We're talking about a different kind of football. And my special guest I brought on today, his name is Jason Hershey. He's an author. He coaches two soccer teams, and he even dabbled in the pros. Jason, how you doing, man? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. So let's just start off this journey talking about you know your story. How'd you get into soccer? And all, where did it take you? Um, when I was in third grade, I remember bringing home a flyer to sign up for the local soccer team out in Phoenix, Arizona. And um, I brought it home. My mom was all for it. My dad was like, you are never going to play that sport. That's not a man's sport. Um, long story short, my mom talked him into signing this up. Um, I went down and then he walked out as a coach and he ended up coaching for 20 some odd years um, all the way from my team up into like an adult women's team. Um, so I did that. I played soccer all the way through high school. Um, and then in college, I ended up going to play football just because they gave me more money to play football than they did soccer at the time. Um, so I played four years of uh, college football. Um, soccer was always my first love. Um, moved back to Phoenix, started coaching a little bit. And then when I finally moved out to Ohio, um, I got involved with the Cuyahoga Falls Soccer Club here, the local town that I'm at. And um, the rest is history. I, tell you, I coached two um, travel soccer teams. I'm on the board. Um, we're really trying to build the sport up around here and trying to give it as an avenue for kids to, to excel and succeed and get better. So what position did you play in football? Were you a kicker? I was. I was in college. I was actually a field goal kicker. Um, in high school, I played all the other. They, they didn't think it was cool to just have somebody be a field goal kicker. Um, but in college, that was what I got my scholarship for. And um, so, yeah, so I was full-time field goal kicker, which I absolutely loved. Oh, what college did you go to? Um, it was called Bethel College in North Newton, Kansas. Um, I had the opportunity to go to some bigger schools, but um, kind of didn't pay really good attention to my grades and at the time kickers were kind of marginalized and it was you know it was kind of a niche thing that they figured they can find kickers anywhere so the combination of those two things led me to a little tiny um, Mennonite college out uh, about 30 miles from Wichita um, yeah so in hindsight it turned out to be the best decision that ever happened to me um, ended up with my education degree um, got a great education met some wonderful people um, whereas if I would have went to a bigger college, I'm not exactly sure it would have played out that way. Right. And how did you end up getting back into soccer? Um, it was always there. Um, like it was always in the background. I, I coached I coached a little bit when I was in Kansas. Um, like in college, I went to the local youth center and coached a team there. And then I dabbled. I coached some football. I did that. When I when my kids got a little bit older and they wanted to start playing, that was really when I got into it. About the last five years is when I got into it like full time. This is like what I love. And how come you love soccer? Um, you know what? It's it's kind of hard to explain. It, it's the only game where you play it with your feet. So not everybody can do it. It's it's you can be small, you can be big, you can be fast, you can be slow. You can still be successful at soccer because a lot of it is played mentally. You have to be able to be smart. You have to outsmart the player in front of you. Um, not to mention it's by far the most popular sport in the whole entire world. So there's got to be something there to it. Um, and I think now the U.S. is starting to we're, – we're really lagging behind in the appreciation for what they call the beautiful game. Um, 
so it's just i it's something that once you get into it and once it becomes a part of you it's just very addicting and what's the what how is it mentally challenging for you because you can't use your arms so how does that compare to football where you can use all your pretty much your body parts how do you as a soccer player mentally process yourself to focus on using your feet and foot coordination um, because you have to be smarter than the player in front of you. So you have to anticipate where the pass is coming. It, every every play, every position is kind of like the DB in football. You have to anticipate the breaks. But then when that happens and your 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 player, your guarding gets the ball, you can't use your arms to tackle him, to stop him. You have to anticipate which way he's going, get your feet in front of him. Like I said, it, there's no other sport like it where it's just feet, it's just mental, it's just smarts. Um, everything else, you can use your hands to check and to grab. And like I said, there, it's something once it gets into you, it's just a part of what you are. And it's it's beautiful when you watch it played really well at the highest levels. It is a very, it's almost poetic in a way. And you said you dabbled in the pros. I want you to kind of touch upon that because, again, t- going into the pros, no matter how long or how short you were, were there, it's still a significant part to almost anyone that plays. It is. Um, senior year, I ended up signing with a uh, sports agency out of uh, Wichita, Kansas, um, called Omega Sports. And because I was from a little school, it wasn't like I was invited to any NFL combines, anything like that. But I, I was flown in by a couple teams, got to work out in front of their coaches. Um, and it was something that I really wanted to do at the time. But unfortunately, my mom got really sick um, back in Phoenix. And I had to make a decision about, is this how I want my life to be or do I need to be there for my mom? Um, I chose to spend time with my mom and unfortunately she passed away about two years later. Um, but by then, again, and I never knew if I loved football enough to make it my life. Um, I love football, um, but I didn't know if I wanted to live the life of a football player. Um, the money would have been awesome, but there was more things I wanted to accomplish in my life. So it was kind of a hard decision, but in the end, it really wasn't. I needed. I chose my mom, and I chose my family, and I chose the rest of my life over, you know, five, six years of, you know, NFL play. Yeah, so was there any kind of regret in the choice you made, or was this something that you just put your foot to and then never looked back? Um, I think I always look back um, just because you, you always have the what if, um, but I would never change it for the world. I wouldn't, there was nothing that happened after it was like, dang it, I made the wrong decision. I always know I made the right one, but there was always, there's always what ifs, you know, what if I would have uh, went to like Arizona state instead of Bethel college? What if I would have done this at this point instead of another? So there's always those kind of things, but I don't regret any decision I made because then my life now wouldn't have been where it was. I wouldn't have met my wife. I wouldn't have had my kids, you know, but my life would have went a different path. So I, I don't regret any of that. So after you had that little stint with the pros, what, what was uh, your journey next stored up for you? What did you go into? How did you end up where you were or you are now? Um, I ended up um, becoming a teacher, and I taught in the same inner city high school or um, elementary schools that I grew up in. So I kind of went back home, taught, um, was a special ed teacher for a while, was a um, an assistant principal for a while. I did some of that, and then I met my wife. Um, she lived in Ohio. I lived in Arizona. We did a lot of traveling back and forth, um, and it was about that time that I was just kind of fed up with teaching and just kind of burned out. That was all I've ever wanted to do was teach. 
So when I moved to Ohio, I kind of switched gears. I became an aide for a little bit, didn't much care for that. So then I found what I loved. And for about 14 years, I was a like a pre-K teacher. So I, I, I had the teaching bug. I was preparing kids for kindergarten. Um, but I didn't have the lesson plans and all the political stuff that comes along with being a teacher. Um, so I did that for a really long time. Um, and then just recently, within the last two months, I took a junior high math um, teacher job. And now I realize that I actually miss teaching a lot more than I thought I did. Um, so the the whole thing has kind of come back full circle to being a teacher again. So you knew from a young age that you wanted to be a teacher. Why is that? Because, I mean, when you think about it, like, a teaching job isn't the most glamorous job, you know, you don't get paid mm -hmm. a lot of money at the end of the day, or you don't get, you know, you don't get paid a lot, but at the end of the day, it is something that kids do need. They do. And again, growing up in the inner city, um, I was fortunate I had both my mom and my dad around, but a lot of my friends didn't. Um, so we were the house that they would come hang out with, and my mom would feed them, and she would call them their kids. So growing up, I was always real aware that I was lucky that I had both, and a lot of people that I grew up with didn't. And when that, that translated, when I got to school, you could always tell what teachers wanted to be in those schools and which teachers were just there because they couldn't find a job anywhere else. Um, and I think that kind of made a really big impression on me in that I wanted to be a role model for these kids, for these inner city kids, these kids who are kind of um, written off by society. I'm a product of those streets and I turned out okay and I turned out pretty successful. And it, I don't know if it's a calling, but it, it's definitely what I'm meant to be. Um, I'm meant to be a role model, a male role model for a lot of these kids in a lot of these communities um, because I understand the problems that they have that they bring into school that have nothing to do with reading and writing. It has to do with, are we going to be able to be fed tonight? Am I going to be safe? Am I going to have heat on or electricity? So <clears throat> when you do things like that, um, it, it makes it harder for the kids to focus and study when they're hungry. So having a teacher that understands that and knows what it's like, um, I think goes a long way to helping them be successful and reach their their calling or their highest potential. So how do you do that? Do you just like, kind of like help them through more – you you're more – you work more one-on-one -on -one with them or how does that go about in trying to help them get into a better – you know, reach their full potential? Um, I think it starts with just understanding where they're coming from um, but at the same time not letting them use that as a crutch or as an excuse to not be successful. Um, like I said, too many people in society are going to write them off and going to just assume that they're destined to – end up in jail or be dead or, you know, live off the system. And <clears throat> my job, my goal, my my purpose is to not let them use where they're coming from or their social economic background or, or situation as a crutch, that they, they can do whatever it is they want to do. So my job is to inspire and in, instill hope, um, discipline, to push them to reach their biggest, even if they hate me in the end as they grow older they will understand that what i did was what was necessary for them to reach what it is they want to go so do a lot do a lot of these philosophies that you take with teaching go into as well as like your coaching soccer um it is because again <clears throat> we have we just have a community team um we kind of pull kids from all over um 
but we end up playing a lot of these teams that are called premier teams where parents pay hundreds upon thousands of dollars for the kids to be trained and stuff. And we go into these tournaments and we compete with them. And sometimes we beat them and we're just a little community team who's, you know, whose families pay $80 a season. We're not paying hundreds. We don't have professional trainers. Um, we just have myself and my assistant coach who love what we do and we love teaching these kids and it's about getting them to believe in themselves just like it is teaching you you get them to believe in themselves that it's them against everybody else and that they're capable of accomplishing things that again these these premier clubs look at us when we go to tournaments and like oh this is just little Cuyahoga Falls it's not and then we end up beating them we're giving them a run for the money and we've had a lot of teams you know hey your team plays really hard your team plays discipline and to me that means more than actually the winning or the losing it's it's about getting that respect from you know the clubs that um their goal their parents goals is to get them to become professional soccer players so they're they have the best trainers and they have the best facilities and the best uniforms and we're just a little community team that plays at the community park and we're competing with these teams and we're you know technically sound as as they are um and where we might not be as skilled we have more heart and we have as much determination and we have as much um cohesiveness as they do so how do you develop those values those that discipline into your kids um i don't think there's really one right way to do it um but it starts from like day one we we've been fortunate my assistant coach and i that we've had both of our teams that we have We've had them since they were like five or six years old, and we've kind of grown with them. Um, and it starts from day one, It you know, focusing on the fundamentals, um, not letting them get away with not working as hard, making sure that everybody understands that nobody's better than the team, um, that there's no prima dominas, that we're only going to go as far as the other players on the team take us. Um, and it's it's just instilling that belief that we're like a family and it's us against everybody else. And um, like I said, the parents buy into it. The parents hang out with each other. The kids hang out with each other. Um, so we 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 call ourselves the little CF crew family um, because we've been together so long and we we fight like brothers and they hug like brothers and then they celebrate like brothers. And what would you say is like the like your biggest value in terms of coaching and teaching for you? Um, respect. Have respect for your opponents, have respect for your teammates, have respect for your family name, your team name. Um, every time you're you're playing, when you're on that field, you're, you're representing more than just you and just your team. You're representing the club, you're representing your family name, you're representing the, the other players on your team and your coaches. And to me, I like I said, I, I want them to, I want other teams to understand and to recognize that we're a gritty group who is busting our butts every day to get better. And when you play us, you're not going to have an easy game. You might beat us, but we're going to make you earn it. And when we walk off the field, you're going to have our respect. And we're going to we're going to be respectful to you. We're going to help you up if we knock you down. Um, you know, when we score, we're not going to show both. We're not going to rub it in. Um, we're going to be true to the game and true to the competition. And at the end, leave the game better than where we where it started. So do you feel that what you've learned and how you approach the game as a coach has developed more or less through your experiences, or is this someone that like inspired you to go, to go the route that you've gone? Um, a little bit of both. Um, like I said, I, I've been fortunate to have some really good coaches, starting with my dad first. Um, but growing up in Phoenix when we were playing, I was fortunate to have some 
professional players as coaches and some professional coaches as our coaches that wanted to give back to the inner city, to South Phoenix community. Um, and, and it's been kind of from there. And when when we were playing, we were the South Phoenix Jaguars. We were we were an inner city group that paid like $30. We had ragtag jerseys, um, but we were proud of it. And we wanted to represent that the community and we wanted to play. And it was so it was something that was instilled in us but it was something that kind of develops over time because you, you see people who the showboaters and the, the ones who like run up the score and rub it in. And I've been on the other side of that and it doesn't feel good. So I never want to instill that or, or pass that along to somebody else who, you know, maybe hasn't cause it could, could take lead kids to not want to play this sport anymore. And that's never a good thing. And you said you're an author. So talk about the book that you made or you wrote. Um, I actually wrote two books. Um, the first one's called To Die to Live, and the second one is called The Chosen Path. And basically, it it follows a child uh, or a, a teenager named Thelonious Mitchell um, as he kind of attempts to overcome his situation, um, his neighborhood, that kind of stuff. A lot of it is stuff I experienced personally. Some of it is stuff that friends experienced growing up. So it it's based on real stuff um, as a fictionalized story. Um, but it's real relatable. So it's it's you know Thelonious coming over the coming trying to overcome the death of his mother, um, the stigma of growing up in the poor part of town, the pressure of gangs and drugs, and just trying to reach his his spark um, in life, whatever that may be, whatever it is that God or whatever your religion says put you on this earth for. He's trying to find it. And it's the obstacles that he has to overcome in order to get there. And for you, how did you overcome your obstacles growing up <clears throat> and going through the um, inner city? What, what drove you to become better? Well, first off, I, I mean, like my parents, they, they never let me be okay with just being okay. They always said that C's are average and you're more than average. Um, but the second thing is I think a lot of it was just instilled in me in that I wanted to be better. I knew I didn't want to um, live my life as a product of the streets. I didn't want to just become a statistic. Um, I wanted to do more. I wanted to be better. I still love South Phoenix. I still um, stay in contact with a bunch of people that are there. I love everything that it's about, but I wanted to do more than that. Um, and fortunately, sports was my opportunity to get out, um, and I used that as an opportunity to give back. Um, but it was just like the drive inside me to just be better than what I am. Um, I'm my brother and my sister and I are the oldest ones that we grew up with for the most part that haven't that aren't dead or in jail. Um, so a lot of the people that we grew up with have have fallen and become a statistic. And I was always determined not to be that person. You would say your books are your way of influencing others as well through your past and as well as helping kids through the future. Definitely. I get a lot of reviews for people who read the books and, you know, hey, I, oh, my gosh, I, it, I can totally relate to this. I, I had the same situation happen to me um, when I was writing the book. I was crying because I was remembering situations that I might have stuffed down and hadn't really thought about. And they were brought to the forefront when I was writing. And it um, like I said, so it's a very emotional book, but. It's they're very positive because even though we have downs in our lives and things are hard, it's not necessarily where you're going to end up. 
it's it's all about the journey at the end and not the beginning or the middle. And what made you want to write <clears throat> those books? I really don't know. I, I literally sat down one day. I've always dabbled in writing and that kind of stuff. And I wrote poems and songs and stories, and but it was never anything I really took serious. And <clears throat> for some reason, this first story, To Die to Live, was just in there and it came out in like three weeks and I wrote it down by hand on notebook paper and I carried notebooks around um, and it just came out and I used every free moment I had at work to to jot this story down. So from, from the beginning, putting the first word on paper to the final edited version and ready for publication took about six months, which is really quick. Um, it was just a story that kind of told itself and it came together. Um, I don't know, it was, it was the time, it was time for that story to be told by me, um, more so for just me than anything else. But from what I understand and from what I hear, it's helped people, you know, that don't know me, that come from different walks of life and different, um, all different backgrounds and all different, you know, races and ethnicities. Um, so like I said, so just something in me that said it needed to be done. And throughout your life, from playing sports to living in the inner city, to where you are now, what was the biggest thing or biggest thing you've taken away from life and what you've learned? Um, the biggest thing is that it, it could be over like that. Um, I had a lot of friends that one day I was talking to them and the next day they're not there anymore. Um, so I've kind of taken on the philosophy is I'm not going to worry about tomorrow. I'm going to live for today. I'm going to do everything I can to be a good person today. Um, and it also makes you makes you think about how you want to be remembered as morbid as that sounds like when I leave this earth, what do I want to be known for? And hopefully it's, you know, as a really good person and as somebody who who helped people or helped kids that maybe a lot of people didn't want to help or had given up on. And I believed in everybody and the good in everybody and the, the potential of everybody. Um, so for me, at least, it makes me think about those. And every day I'm trying to add to my legacy. Um, as far as how I'm going to be remembered, I, and nobody wants to be remembered as, you know, you're the jerk that, you know, yelled at kids all the time or whatever. So it, those are always on the back because it can change in a heartbeat um, and tomorrow's never given. And you just have to enjoy today and hug the people you hug and tell everybody you love them and let them know how you feel at any any moment. So from what you've said, it sounds like more you have a more of a laid back coaching style. You kind of like to keep it more mellow. You're not, like you said, you're not the screamer and harasser. No, I, um, my, my assistant coach, and this is going to sound bad, but he's more of the disciplinarian than I am. Um, he calls us fire and ice. I'm more of the laid back. I'm going to, you know, pull you over to the side. Hey, look, you know, you kind of screwed up here. Um, but he's, and when I say he's the disciplinarian, he's not yelling and screaming at all, but he's a little more firm than I am. And he's a little, little harder on the kids and expects well, I don't even know if expects is a little bit more uh, is the right word, but we have a style that melts together. And some kids respond to my style more than they do, you know, maybe a little bit firmer. But then there's other kids that respond more to the firmer style. So between the two of us, we have a nice mix and we, we complement each other very well. Um, but no, my style is definitely more laid back and, you know, trying to understand where the kids are coming from. And you, you don't expect any less from them, but at the same time, it's how you go about getting that message across. Um, you know, I've never, I never responded to the coaches that yelled and screamed and hollered and cursed and all that. That just kind of, whatever, I blocked it out. I was more the people who, look, I understand you screwed up. You need to do better. And this is how you can do it. 
let's do better next time. That motivated me more than the other kind. So I, I try to bring that whenever possible. Is, are there any coaches that you idolize or look at and say like that's kind of how you try to emulate as yourself? Um, there's always coaches I, I looked up to. Um, I don't know if I try to emulate anybody because, again, I'm just me and I'm who I am. But um, growing up, I was a big-time Dallas Cowboys fan, and Tom Landry was always like a an idol of mine. Just his hat, and I'm sure in private, like at practices, when you saw it, you know he was he he might have been different, but like on the sideline during games, he was very cool. He never got up, he never got down. He was always there, and I try to be that same way in soccer. If the other team scores, I try not to holler and scream. I'm just like, okay, we'll get this, and if we score, stay here. We got to keep working. So I, I I try to emulate that, but at the same time, I'm just me, and I I can't. It, it's really hard to mimic other people when your attitude and your behavior and your belief systems and all that might be different. So I just try to stay true to myself and like who I am. All right. I do want to move on and talk about the general outlook of the U S soccer team or just the general okay. of U S soccer. What are your thoughts on it? Um, I love the direction it's going. Um, I, I think a lot of people get caught up in the short term success failures rather than looking long-term. Um, there's been more of an emphasis lately on the younger players, especially the ones that are that are playing in Europe um, or the, the ones that, you know, are playing outside of MLS. And to me, that's the future of soccer. Um, you know, Dest that just committed from the Netherlands, who's, you know, 19 years old. You got, um, you know, Pulisic from um, New Jersey, who's playing over in, in England now in the Premier League. So th that, those are the future of soccer. Um, we're no longer the, the 35, 36-year-olds, you know, Michael Bradley. So we, we need to move on from them, build with the youth. But when you play a lot of youth, you're going to make a lot of mistakes. And you're going to be very up and down as they learn what it is. It, playing for the national team is completely different than playing in a club, no matter what division you're in. So there's going to be growing pains, and I think we need to take a more relaxed and long-term approach when we when we look at U.S. soccer in general. And when you say long-term, are you talking like five five years or more? I'm talking not necessarily this next World Cup, but the one after that. So about six years um, is when you'll start to see these 19-year-olds starting to become like in the prime of their careers. You know, they got a lot of seasoning under their belts, you know, in Europe and that kind of stuff. And that's when you'll start to see, do I, do I think we're ever going to become dominant like the Germanys and the Portugals? Probably not, but I think we can make consistent, you know, final eights, top 16, the occasional final fours of the World Cup because we have, that we finally have the structure that's there that's going to allow that to build. Um, and, it, and it trickles down all the way down into the youth clubs that are part of like U.S. soccer and what U.S. soccer is asking youth clubs to develop. So, it's this generation of kids that are coming up now that are going to be the future for what we have. And what do you think is the most important thing going forward to keep the process going? Um, technical development. Um, I think too many times American kids um, rely on their athleticism and that kind of stuff in order to get by. And we lose the, the technical part, the, the ball skills and the, you know, the mental part that I said earlier is it's a big part of it. The European kids have been, they, you know, from the time they're birth, they're working on dribbling and passing and, 
you know, ball skills and foot skills and that kind of stuff. Whereas we put more of an emphasis on winning um, in the younger ages and, you know, oh, my, my kid plays for a team that's won four titles. Well, that's wonderful, but are they being developed? Are the skills being developed? And I think a lot of times as American parents, we want to win and the, the skill development gets left. Um, so that's where some of the push comes from. Um, even ours, like if we're, we're still in-house um, up until they get to like U9s, we don't even keep score because we want the kids to be developing from week to week, from season to season. Um, are the kids getting better? Are they win or lose? It doesn't matter. Are they, do they have ball control? Are they passing? Are they finding open spaces? Are they making runs where they're supposed to? Um, so that's something that the U.S. big time lags behind, like our European foes and, and competitors, um, because that's instilled in them from a very young age. So when you talk about mentally, how do you develop these kids mentally in growing in soccer? Um, you got to let them, you got to let them fail. Um, that, that's where our emphasis on winning comes in. Um, kids don't know how to lose. Kids don't know how to compete. And when it, when it gets tough and when the game gets tight and, you know, it's a very physical game, a lot of times you see kids shut down um, because they're not winning 6-0, 7-0, and it's not a cakewalk. Um, that is the biggest part of it is how do you handle defeat? How do you handle not being successful for this game and not let it carry over to the next game? Um, you know, and a lot of it is just a culture. Like I said, we, we have a culture of we have to win, win, win. And when we're not winning, we equal that as failure. When in reality, you gain a lot from losing soccer games. Um, you know, you learn a lot. And we're not giving those to our kids. Um, and I'm, I'm a big believer that everybody should have an opportunity but at the same time, you know, I'm not big on participation. So you earn what you earn. Um, I, I don't want any kid to feel discouraged. So there's a fine line you walk there. But at the same time, nobody should get, you know, be patted on the back and say, oh, you did great when all they did was run around in a circle. You know, um, there has to be. So it's like, it's just a cultural thing um, that is kind of holding us back. And I think now we're starting to address it in the younger leagues. And uh, hopefully we'll start to see you know, a return on that investment here in the coming year. And with football struggling to get those youth numbers, how has soccer been able to at least take some of those kids from not being able to play football to playing soccer and start developing them? Um, with more opportunities beyond um, like the high school um, football is, and I think unfortunately good or bad, whatever the, the whole CTE thing with um, football is starting to bring some parents into soccer um, for fear of those head injuries and stuff. Um, and like I said, I'll put it out there. I'm not a big, I, I don't necessarily see a problem with that. So I love football. My kids would be able to play football if they wanted to, but I think that's driving some. And I think just the, <clears throat> as the game grows and as we put more of an emphasis on like the grassroots development at the club level, community level, and start to bring some more of those kids in. Um, we, we tend to lose them as they get, you know, into their preteen or early teenage years. They, you know, everybody in their, in their, their mother has a kid who played soccer when they were younger. Then when they get older, they move on to other sports. And I think now with the emphasis on development combined with the health fears, we're starting to keep some of those kids. And now they're starting to see opportunities outside of you know, um, there's so many teams, so many places have academies, so many places have, you know, um, 
premier leagues if parents want to spend money for it. So there's more opportunities than there were when I was growing up. So what are your thoughts on those? Like you were talking about, you know, you're only a, a community <clears throat> or a community league team. When you, mm-hmm. And you're playing against those teams that have like the top, the cream of the, you know, the creme of the creme in terms of coaching, you know, gar- like some of these teams can say like, oh, we'll guarantee you scholarships because that's kind of the same concept in baseball. You know, they make you mm-hmm. pay a lot of money. What are your thoughts on those teams? And do you think that's good or bad for the youth? Um, I think it's both. Um, <clears throat> I don't necessarily think they're bad, but I don't see the need for parents to go broke supporting little Johnny's soccer dream when he's six, seven, eight years old. It's different if they get into high school. <clears throat> and then in high school, you start to specialize. You start to, you know what, I'm going to play soccer. To me, that's where the, the those premier leagues and that stuff comes in. Before that, let them play. I'm a big believer in playing as many sports as possible. Um, so I have lots of kids that play, <clears throat> you know, the outdoor season, and then we do indoor in the winter. And then they'll go off and play basketball in the wintertime. That's awesome. I have no problem with that. I have kids who play football while they're playing soccer. So I think when they're younger age, there's too much emphasis on specialization, and that leads to burnout and to, like, specific sports, sport-specific injuries. Um, again, when they get into high school, that's when you start competing for the scholarships and that kind of stuff. I don't see a problem with that. Um, we have a select team when kids get into junior high and high school that is kind of that purpose. Um, but I love being a community team and competing against these rich ones, the, these, you know, specialized teams that have the training because if you have good coaches you have good coaches um i don't get paid for the job i do i probably could get paid if i went somewhere else but i choose to do it for free because the the message and the 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 journey is important to me i do want to ask you one more question who's your favorite soccer player of all time favorite soccer player of all time is demarcus beasley um, I remember watching him when I was little. Um, him and Landon Donovan kind of came up at the same time. Um, but it was something about the way DeMarcus Beasley played. He started off as like a midfielder and a forward <clears throat> when he was young. Um, and then he, he did his U.S. journey. He went to Europe. He played. And then he kind of fell off the map for a few years and nobody heard about him. But then at you know as he got into his early 30s, late 30s, he kind of reinvented his career as a defender. And he was starting for the U.S. you know U.S. World Cup team as you know a 34, 35 year old and playing in MLS as like 38, but as a defender. So he changed his whole skill set. He changed his whole focus, his whole specialization. To me, that's admirable because he loved the sport that much and he loved the game that much that he was willing to do whatever it took for him to stay on the field. And I just respect that. I respect the journey. I respect the ups and the downs, and um, it's just very inspiring to me. I, I actually, I, I do have one more question to actually ask you. What is okay. the biggest mix, misconception about soccer in America? <clears throat> that it's it's not a very physical sport. Um, I have been injured way more in soccer than I ever was in football, and that was even when I was playing running back, safety, receiver. Um, soccer is very physical. You are going to get pulled. You're going to get yanked. You're going to get tripped. You're going to get kicked. Um, you're going to get pushed. You're going to get shoved. Um, you're going to fall. You don't have the pads to break your fall. Um, soccer is very physical at its <clears throat> at its core, basic, um, you know, um, set pieces, you know, balls played into the into the box and everybody's jumping up to try to hit it and get the headers. There's a lot of contact that goes on. 
Um, so just the the perception that soccer players are, are kind of not as tough as football players is kind of something that always kind of annoyed me. And what would you say for those people that do think that? What would you tell them about the sport that kind of that that can help maybe change their thought process on the sport itself? Um, just come out and watch it at the highest levels. Um, take your kids out to you know an MLS game. Um, take your kids out to a you know a Premier League exhibition game when they're traveling the country. Take them out to a national game when they're playing their friendlies and stuff. Um, you will see, you know, heck, even go to the top colleges. You know, I know University of Akron has a really, really good soccer team. Go out and just watch that and watch the physical nature. Watch, but but more importantly, watch the skill. Watch the 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 buildup from the goalie to the defense to the midfielders to the forwards. The the ball moving from side to side. It's almost like I said before. It's almost poetic. And if you just watch it, expecting it to be like football or hockey or rugby. You're going to be very disappointed because it's a completely different game with a completely different skill set. Um, I mean, I, I remember Hakeem Olajuwon always talked about he became such a great basketball player because he played soccer when he was young and it developed his feet work um, or his footwork. So it's a different game. Just watch it, respect it for what it is, and try to get inside of it and try to just let it become a part of you. And I was going to say, I think we'll end that there being the 43rd episode of sports avenue jason i want to say again thank you for joining and i greatly appreciate you taking the time to join the show oh and i appreciate it thank you very much for having me um as well as you know you're more than welcome to plug in your social media where they can find you where they can reach you as well as your books where you can get them as well okay um to die to live and the chosen path are both available on amazon audible and at barnes and noble um in my social media i can be found on facebook Snapchat, Twitter, and Instagram at author Jason Hershey. Um, and then Twitter is the real Jay Hershey. Um, I would love to interact with, with, uh, with, I don't even know if fans is the right word, but I love to interact with people and answer questions and that kind of stuff. It, it, it's what I'm for. It's what I'm about. So, Like I said, Jason, thank you for joining. And I'll, I'm going to look to bring you back again, and we'll talk more about soccer because, again, I, I mean, I wasn't I – was, when I was growing up, I was football, baseball. Um, mm -hmm. like, I wasn't more into soccer because, I, like, again, I was in that biggest misconception that I didn't think it was physical, so I'm like, eh, I don't really care for it. So it's like I said, I, I, I think getting that new insight is important, at least for me as well. And, oh, and I, under, and I understand that perception. Like I said, my dad had the same thing, so I would be happy to come back whenever – you would like me this was a lot of fun and i truly appreciate the opportunity yeah so again thank you everyone have a great day have a great week and of course the road for sports starts here on sports avenue everyone take care have a great week and see you soon